0: Hey everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders.
1: Welcome, we are so pleased you're with us for this exceptional author interview with Peter Altschul, who is not only an author, but also a blogger and podcaster. We will be discussing his 2021 book, Riding Elephants, Creating Common Ground Where Contention Rules, and gain recommendations for writers seeking to contribute to positive change. And then we'll have a dynamic question and answer session. Our first announcement today is that today is October 15th when we're recording this, and it is White Cane Safety Day. This day was proclaimed White Cane Safety Day by the U.S. Congress and President Lyndon B. Johnson in 1964 for the United States. It recognizes the role the white cane plays in allowing people who are blind and visually impaired to be independent in their lives. It also aims to increase awareness of traffic laws related to those using white canes as well as those using their guide dogs. And it requires people to yield the right of way. I'm Dr. Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher.
0: Oh, I love when she says fabulous, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) And I have a fabulous co-host too. Thank you, Kathy. So glad to be here. Hi, everybody.
1: I'm so pleased to introduce all of you to our guest author, Peter Altschul. For some unknown reason, Peter Altschul was born totally blind. He was the only blind student attending his local high school, where he played percussion in the marching band and other music groups. He failed as a wrestler and studied while pretending to goof off. This is a very unusual bio. Peter has traveled a diverse career path, which informed his perspective and work. He has worked as a customer service rep, musician, trainer of New York City taxi drivers, parent of three stepkids, grants manager, mediator, and workplace diversity specialist, all done with the assistance of six wonderfully quirky guide dogs. He has published three books thus far, a memoir entitled Breaking Barriers, Working and Loving While Blind in 2012, and two books of short essays in 2017, Breaking It Down and Connecting the Docks, Subtitled, Creating Common Ground Where Contention Rules. And then the most recent book in 2021, Riding Elephants, Creating Common Ground Where Contention Rules. As an author, blogger, activist, mediator, and musician, Peter continues to support individuals and groups to get better at what they do by connecting them with people who have different experiences and values so they can better achieve a common goal. I know this will be an exciting and inspiring show today with an author who is also an advocate. Take it away,
0: Cheryl. Welcome, Peter. Kathy and I have been reading your books. And wow, we're really enjoying them. Can you tell our listeners what made you become an author? What inspired you?
2: Of course. uh, And thank you for having me as, as a guest. So I've never especially enjoyed writing. It's not something I feel compelled to do, even though I've written these three books. And it all got started back in 2003, I think it was, or 2004, and I was getting my fifth guide dog named Jules. And back then there was no such thing as a blog. So every day I'd go upstairs to the guiding eyes computer room and write a, two or three paragraphs about what happened that particular day and how I was doing and how the dog was doing. And when I came back, Everybody said two things to me. The first thing was, when can I meet Jules, the guide dog? And the second thing was, you're a fabulous writer. You should write a book. And I thought they were crazy and forgot about it. Then I moved to Columbia, Missouri, and um, I read this sort of series of blogs to my fiance. And she said, you should write a book. And I said, you're crazy. And she didn't give up. She uh, looked at a, a catalog and found an advanced level nonfiction creative writing course for PhD students. And she said, "You should sign up for you, sh- you. should apply for this course." And I said, "I'll never get into this course. I've never taken a writing course before." And uh, you know, I, so she said, "Well, apply for it." So I did. I uh, sent some writing samples, explained who I was uh, to the professor, and sh- much to my horror and surprise, I was accepted. So um, I started writing what became "Breaking Barriers." The professor was a fabulous editor. I learned so much from her about how to write in English instead of bureaucraties and how to write uh, in the vernacular rather than these these big words. And she was fabulous. I got a good chunk done in the class. I took the course again the following year, and it still took me seven years to get the book written, but I never could have gotten that done without that professor. So that was, that was the first book. And then when I was marketing that book, uh, somebody said to me, okay, you need to write a blog. And I said, Well, okay, what should I write about? She said, anything you want. I said, okay, what other guidance do you have? She said, well, keep each blog under 750 words. And that was the best advice I ever got about writing a blog, because I find at least that many of the blogs that I come across are just way too long, and people just don't have time to read them. I know I don't. Those blogs are the foundation of my two other books, the books of short essays, uh, Breaking It Down and Connecting the Dots, and the most recent book, Writing Elephants
0: let's go a little further with that. How do you feel that blogging and your writing bring people together?
2: Well, I try to write blogs that while they may cover controversial topics, they, they respect those who have different opinions than I do. I try to write in, in ways, again, I try to write in as simple a way that I can. I try not to use too many complicated words. And I try to write as short as I can. And I try not to, as I say in my book, uh, writing Elephants, trash talk as compared to trust talk. I try to engender trust among people who, uh, who, who read me by respect. I try my best to respect those who disagree with me. And I hope they respect what I believe and why.
1: Thank you. Excellent. Kathy? Thank you. Peter, we, we want to go further about the book, writing Elephants, Creating Common Ground Where Contention Rules. We both really enjoyed this book. It's very different and shows a tremendous depth of perspective that you have about critical issues in our society and how people can work at getting along. Could you explain to our listeners more about the focus of the book? And maybe you can start with the meaning of the title, Riding Elephants.
2: Yeah, so thank you. So Riding Elephants uh, comes from a concept by a guy named Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, a book uh, called The Righteous Mind came out in 2012. And anybody who's interested in sort of learning about the differences between conservatives and liberals, I would encourage you to read that book. Although I'm not sure it's as true now as it was back in 2012. His idea, which I have sort of expanded upon, is the idea that an elephant connects, it really represents somebody's feelings, or as he calls it, intuitions. In order for us to be successful, we have to be better elephant writers, and the way we uh, become better elephant writers is by controlling our feelings with our thoughts. Now, what I what I mean by that is, you know, feelings are not bad things; they're terrific things, but they have to be harnessed in in productive ways. And your thoughts can do that. So the idea is that each of us need to be better elephant writers, and we can support each other in doing that. The, the prologue has a series of short essays that sort of talk about the main concepts in the book that come up throughout the rest of the book. And the first thing has the concept that feelings, not thoughts, drive action. So it's the feelings behind the thoughts. So if you have a thought, you may be excited about it, you may not care about it, you may be uh, enthusiastic, you may be scared, you may be uh, happy, you may be sad. So how you feel about those thoughts is going to impact the way you react to those thoughts, so that's one component. The other, the other uh, comment I'll just talk about briefly is the idea of we all speak on two channels: the thoughts channel and the feelings channel. And what I would ask all of us to think about is many. All of us are in some kind of relationship, uh, whether with kids or with a significant other or whatever. Have you ever ever had the experience where you're having a conversation and you're trying to work something out, and you feel like you're talking past each other? If that's the case, it is likely, but not always the case, that one of you is talking on the feelings channel and one of you is talking on the thoughts channel. Usually the feelings channel tends to be women and the thoughts channel tend to be men. It's not always the case. Uh, But unless you can sort of connect on both channels, you're not going to be able to communicate effectively. And then the final concept I want to talk about is the idea of trust talk versus trash talk. And trash talk, we all know what trash talk is. We've heard it. It's common in sports. You hear it on the playground. You hear it in media. Media loves trash talk. And so it's essentially making ourselves feel better by making the other feel worse. And trust talk is lowering our barriers so that we can include the other person into our lives a little bit. Sometimes we lower the barriers a little bit, and sometimes we lower them a lot. It depends on the circumstances. But we, we all intuitively know the difference between trash talk and trust talk. And what I essentially argue is if you want to get along with people who disagree with you, you got to do as good a job as you can promoting trust and discouraging trash talking.
1: Very good. Yes. Those are some key points that help guide somebody to understand the book. I have a couple, two other short questions for you about this. You know, you talk about in the book, not only the theoretical back and where Pate came from, with this concept about the elephant and feelings and thoughts, but you give several examples and talk about your work with organizations so that this is not just theory, this is theory and practice and your unique contemplation and perspective about how that fit together. Could you briefly just describe to our listeners some of the organizations you worked with and implementing these concepts?
2: My bio sort of alludes to this stuff, but I mean, apart from raising three stepkids, which was a major challenge, and you really had to connect with both feelings and thoughts with these people. I did because I wasn't their biological dad. And so the, to the extent I was successful working with them, I had to have a, some sense of what they were feeling and connect with those feelings. Otherwise, they just didn't listen to me. I mean, it, it was as simple as that. So, but but I also, for example, worked on a, a couple of federal grants, one uh, encouraging universities and employers to work together to improve employment opportunities for college students with disabilities. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar, employers and university personnel do not get along with each other. I I hope it's gotten better since 1992 when I started this work. So I had to spend a lot of time building trust. I didn't understand this at the time, but a lot of what I did in our first work together was, was sort of talk about the feelings they had for each other in small ways. And that really, once they sort of got over those, that mistrust or lowered a little bit, they were able to do much better work together. Then my next project was a similar thing, working with tech tech vendors and school administrators and parents of kids with disability to improve the way technology was made, made available throughout New York State, in schools throughout New York State. Same basic principle, you know, first we got to get we had to get these people to talk together, and then we had to get them to work together. The same thing also applied in training New York City taxi drivers. You know, I came in as a pretty good educator, but I'd never drawn a cab, driven a cab before. So, in order for me to sort of connect with them, I had to sort of make sure they understood where they were coming from, because otherwise they they just would ignore me. And so that influenced the way I taught those workshops. Perhaps the best example was I spent a, a while encouraging pro life and pro-choice activists to work together, first by dialoguing, and then when they found issues they could agree upon to work together toward making something happen. And that took, of course, a lot of work. And of course, there are lots of feelings involved with both the abortion issue and, you know, the fact that they're on the quote unquote other side of the issue. And after that, I've done a lot of work in the diversity inclusion arena, some work in the immigration arena, and even now I'm working with um, student athletes, tutoring them to improve their writing and, and, and critical thinking skills. You can imagine many of these student athletes, as many students, don't enjoy writing at all. So in order for me to be, be, to work with them, I really have to sort of connect them and to say, it's okay not to like writing. You know, you don't have to like writing. Um, I will help you get better, but it's okay not to, you know, not to like writing. Nobody likes writing. You know, most, most kids don't like writing, especially student athletes. So in order to to work them, I have to connect with that feeling to be successful with them. So that's that's a a brief overview of the work I've done.
1: Excellent. I think that really gives a practical perspective of where you're coming from with this book. And the fact that the book is uh, not only gives a different paradigm, a different way of thinking about these issues, but also is filled with so many great illustrations and stories of how you put this into action. That's terrific. Thank you, Peter.
2: Thank you.
0: Cheryl. Yeah, thank you. What's interesting before I get to the next question is that how you started writing and and writing the emails. I was home training with this dog, Eric. We didn't last very long, but the antics with this dog, I was emailing with Marion Levy, who is one of Guiding Eye's contributors. She was the one who kept encouraging me to write children's book took me five years from then to put it together, but it was because of someone else's encouragement too. And that means a lot. We all still need that encouragement and having those cheerleaders. Yeah. absolutely. Right? And a lot of people are surprised when a writer or an author says, I don't always like writing. So do you have a regular writing schedule now? And what would you suggest to some of our authors who are struggling with schedule. What is your suggestion, Peter?
2: What works for me is I try to write a blog once a week. What I try to do is pick a a time. It's usually once or twice a week where I sit down and write whatever it is I want to write. I'm formulating things in my head before I write them down. And that's really helped. Mm -hmm. And what I've also found is for me, it's best if I just get get everything down. Even if I make mistakes, even if, if if it's too wordy, even if and even if it's not perfect, and then go back and and chisel it. I I almost enjoy editing more than writing because then you can really hone it and make mm-hmm. it really sharp. In my case, I think I write in in a very sort of sharp, concise style. So you know, making 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 that work. I really enjoy the editing part than the actual getting it down on paper. Once I get down on paper, then, then I find it a whole lot easier to to, to shorten it and, and make it sing, if you will. I encourage you to get it as much down on paper as you can, even though it's not perfect, and then meditate over it for, you know, for a while, and then come back to it. And uh, usually things, once you've gotten on paper, uh, connections are made somehow, and you're able to say, okay, this can go, this can't go. Uh, you know, whatever it is, what's what's the important, what's the main message you're trying to convey? In my case, I write a lot of thought pieces. What what am I trying to accomplish in, in this piece? And once that's clear, then everything else usually falls into place. And that 750 word thing really is helpful. It's really disciplined me.
0: Yeah, we've even had people on here tell us how keeping it to 50 words, 60 words, 75, 100 words is challenging, but how much it's helping them with their quality of writing, I know it helps me too. And I think what we need to tell people too is as they're editing, save those pieces that you take out because they might go into another blog or article, right?
2: Absolutely. And I, I have a whole bunch of phrases and snippets and stuff that I keep. And also I have a, a, every blog I've ever written, I have, because you never know, I might be able to, you know, use that as a basis for something else. Yeah. So I have lots of stuff Buried in various places that I (laughs) come to once in a while.
1: Great. Thanks. Just one more question. Another thing we heard on the intro when we were talking with Peter before we came on the air that he does a couple of podcasts, right, Peter? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so my question is, as an author, because Cheryl and I write books and we're also podcasters. So how do you see your writing, podcasting and blogging fitting together? I don't imagine they're all separate balls just flying around in the air. I expect that you see some sort of connection between them. What is that for you?
2: What my writing has allowed me to do along, along with my work experience, it's helped me become a better interviewer. It's helped me hone my questions. It's helped me mm-hmm. uh, ask questions that aren't too rambling. You know, I try to ask questions in a way that, that, that is succinct and, and, and encourages the, the guest to share a little more than they might not have shared otherwise. And I don't think I could have done that as well without having written, done all the writing I've done. The other thing I, I do want to say, music has really had a huge impact on the way I write. I'm a composer. I play drums and a number of things. And I used to sing lots of, of and lots of choirs. And s- musical structures have really helped me in- influence the way I think about structuring, structuring my writing. And sometimes it's subconscious and sometimes it's deliberate. So it might be sort of a theme and variation where I'll write something and then I'll expand on it down the road. Or it might be sort of an ABA format where I write something and then add, you know, go to a B section and then summarize back to the A section. And sort of the music stuff is really, especially with the the memoir, had a huge impact on the way I structure books.
1: Very cool. I totally get that as a musician. Yes, absolutely. Fabulous. Thank you. So do we have any hands raised yet?
0: Carol?
3: How interesting. I loved it. Uh, just a couple of things. And then I'd love to have you expand on them, perhaps. You said that you don't didn't. Now, whether you do now is another question. Didn't like writing. Is it that you didn't like the writing uh, or to write? Also, I love that you worked with taxi drivers. How Could you arrive, you know nothing about driving a taxi, and you were going to help them out? That just made me laugh.
2: I'm sorry. No, no, it's it's a fair question. So let let me try to address both those questions. The first one about my writing. I think creativity in in writing when I was in junior high and even in elementary school wasn't really encouraged. And at the time, I was more interested in music, especially in junior high school. So I never really, something I had to do in the work I did, but it wasn't anything I especially enjoyed doing. And even now, you know, I I write because right now it's the most effective way I have to communicate, but it's not something I look forward to doing. I know there are many people who really love to write and I admire them, but I am not one of them. I've gotten better at it. I think over time, I now like it more than I did when I started my book. But it's not something I like eagerly look forward to, like, for example, I do when I play drums or or compose music or no. So let's talk about the taxi drivers. Really, what the taxi drivers needed, I I wasn't going to teach them how to drive a taxi. That's not something I was going to do as a a blind guy. But what this course really was about (laughs) was customer service. This really was a customer service workshop, and I had plenty of experience doing customer service work, and to some degree, training in customer service work. There's a lot to say about it. What happened is the Taxi and Limousine Commission with that oversaw taxi drivers in New York City it came up with a manual, which I proceeded to ignore, much to the annoyance of the, <laughs> of the folks who wrote it. Uh, and the reason I ignored it is because they didn't talk about customer service. And, this, and what I realized was this was more of a customer service thing. And so I tried to empower the, the drivers in a number of ways. And one of the things I said was, You know, things like if you are nice to the passengers, they're more likely to be nice to you. Not always, but it's a matter of likelihood. If you keep your taxi clean, the more likely it is that the passengers will take their trash with them. Just basic stuff like that. And the other thing I I did was allow the the drivers to share stories amongst themselves. I tried to be the conduit where they learn the lessons and I tried to stay as uh, often as far away From the center, as I possibly could, because they knew far more about this than I did. So it was essentially a a support group that I ran. It was one of the most interesting experiences of my working life. I'd do it again if I had the chance. It's a four hour workshop. So people don't learn a lot in four hours. It's a very tough job driving cabs. And so, and that's one of the things I also tried to say, you know, that was a hard job. And I hope that some of them, you know, learned a little bit and their uh, treating pastures better was, was improved a little bit.
3: Let's go to Alice.
4: Hi, Peter, and I just really want to compliment you again on an outstanding introduction and prologue to this particular book. I've really been very pleased to read all three of your books and have enjoyed them and and enjoyed your insight and, and your very well-written quality of your books. The introduction, if you can speak just a little bit about Uh, how you have invited your readers to think and also to empathize rather than agree with everything you have written. I just think that's an outstanding way to begin your book and how you invited people to find one of the 10 parts or as many of the 10 parts as they might enjoy reading. But I just read it from beginning to end and enjoyed each of the parts in its own way, so that, and then did you come up with the phrase, did you coin the phrase light-dependent people, or had you heard that previously? And I can attest to Peters being a clever poet, as well as a nonfiction writer, and thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Alice, for the kind words. So to address the light-dependent concept, I was at a conference it's really more of a retreat for blind adults called Candle in the Window. I don't know if anybody has heard of it, but it's a, before the virus hit. Every, every year, they go to a retreat center and pick a theme. And it's really the only retreat I know that's run by blind people for blind people. And it's a really t- terrific program. Uh, and at one of those conferences, somebody introduced me to the term light dependent. I think it was a woman by the name of it, Myrna Vota, actually. And I've always thought that was sort of amusing. So I occasionally use that in, in the book's. And of course, call uh, visually impaired people life independent, of course. With regards to uh, Alice's first question, what I encourage people to do is to read the prologue, which is the first, I don't know, five or six essays. The other nine parts are divided into, ver- into various sections, some of which might interest people more than others. So the first section deals with primarily family issues. The next one deals with workplace issues. There's one that deals with uh, Christianity and Christians and Christianity there's a section that deals with public policy issues. There's a section that deals with rhetorical rabbit holes and the things that we do to get our, that get, gets us into trouble and how we can avoid them or, or, or get out of those holes. And the last section I wrote when the pandemic hit. So the, the last part of the book runs from March of 2020 through February of 21, I write about my thoughts of what was going on you know, dur- during the coronavirus and the, the, the politics involved and law enforcement and so on and so forth. What I encourage people to do is to read the prologue. And if there are sections that don't interest them, don't read them. You know, I hope that you read all of it, but I would, I would encourage you to read this, the prologue and then read those sections that most appeal to you. And then if you want to go back, you certainly can. I tried to structure each section so that each essay builds on each other. One other thing I should say to respond to Alice is that the first essay in the prologue I believe it's called Writing Elephants. And that talks about Jonathan Haidt and Writing Elephants and what it means. And then I give a, a number of sort of suggestions to, to help people sort of think through how to have these difficult conversations with people you don't agree with necessarily. And there are a couple of them. And, one, and Alice talked about a, a couple of them. One of them is empathizing does not mean agreeing. You can empathize with somebody on the feelings channel without agreeing with them. And that's that's great if you can empathize then you're likely to have a much better conversation with, with that individual. Even if you end up not agreeing, you probably won't. And that's okay. You know. But you, you might find you agree on 10%. If that's the case, that's a major improvement. That's what happened with the, with the abortion project. Uh, another thing is that common ground does not always mean meeting in the middle. You know, we hear common ground, it means, okay, I'll go halfway, you go halfway. No, it doesn't necessarily mean that, although it sometimes does. Sometimes it means just, as I talked about before, you find the 10% you agree upon, And that might allow you to do something together you would not have otherwise done. Oh, the other thing is listening more than talking. And the last thing is, I say, is to try to end on some common ground, you know, even if it's small, you know, so you've had this conversation and then at the end you say something like, it's so nice to have this conversation. I appreciate it. It seems that we agree on this. Uh, Have a great day. If you can find a way to do that, it really does make people feel a little better about themselves and having that conversation. I should also say, and I forgot this, is that one of the sections has to deal with dogs. Uh, I've had six guide dogs. And so there are a number of essays dealing with dogs and how they've influenced the way I work. And then there's some satire that dogs play a part in, including uh, directions that uh, the dogs give to people about to celebrate their, the holidays with, with people with whom they don't agree with and how to address those kinds of issues. Uh, there's a section that's just called Dogs, I think, or Dog Day. If you like dogs, I would encourage you to read that section.
1: Alice, thank you for that question. Peter, you brought out some really important points that were so valuable to me as I read the book. Thank you for sharing that. And I do want to mention to our participants and listeners on the podcast that Peter's first book about his guide dog experience was a tremendous read. I have never had a guide dog, and I felt like I understood so much more about the experience, what goes into the training what it looks like for some individuals to experience a guide dog and the role they have in their lives. It was very powerful to walk through that experience with Peter through that book. I really recommend that book highly. It's available on BARD.
2: The title is breaking barriers and it's also available on Bookshare.
3: So let's go to Pam. How do you start? What do you, how do you figure out what to start with?
2: Well, in my case, I use my experience getting jewels at Guiding Eyes for the Blind as the springboard. So I write about that experience, but then I, I go back and forth in my life about my upbringing. I write about my experience with other dogs. I write about my experience playing uh, playing music, all in, in the context of getting a new dog or what happened shortly after I got home. So it, it's one of these books that uses... The guide dog training is a springboard to go back and in, in my, in my life and to sort of talk about things that interest me, like what makes organizations effective and what makes organizations fail, and how do we, uh, what makes for a good educator. So the only thing I can suggest for you, Pam, is to find something that was a really significant part of your life throughout your life, or a really important part of your life, whether it was raising kids, or whether it was a job you had, or whether it was your, your faith journey. And then use that as a catalyst to go back in your life and write about what you've done or your future dreams. For me, that was incredibly helpful. I knew the basis of the book was going to be my my experience at Guiding Eyes, getting jewels. that, That allowed me to go back in time and talk about how I was raised and my music and all that stuff.
0: This has been wonderful. Thanks, Peter. And before we start closing out, can you tell everybody once again where they can find your books?
2: Uh, Thank you. The first two books are available through Bard, that's Breaking Barriers and Breaking It Down. They're also available on Bookshare and they're also available on Amazon and uh, Smashwords. And my third book is available on Bookshare. It's available on Amazon. It's available on Smashwords
1: And now it's the Writing Works Wonders
0: Writing Prompt Response Time. I'd like to give you the opportunity to share your responses to the prompt. The first one is you just plunged your hand into the hiding place under the floorboard. What do you come out with? Hmm. The next one is in episode 30, we did a round robin rodeo our first story (laughs) was home home on the ranch and we had quite a list of characters (laughs) so this is your opportunity to do some character development and share more about what your character is doing first up we have carol
3: i'm cook at this here ranch have been for more years than you all can count I cook every day, except in Wednesday and Sunday afternoon. And Maria cooks on those days when she's not cleaning up after all you yahoos. I cook all <laughs> the meals. And I cook them for anybody that shows up. But you darn well better show up on time. And no muddy boots in my kitchen. Clean up your boots first. I feed all the cats and dogs, and I also feed those little rabbits. Those are cute little things. I have an apartment behind a kitchen, and it's big enough for me. Very, very comfortable, and it's big enough for any overnight company I may have on any given night. And you all just mind your own business, because if you don't mind your business, you are going to be very, very hungry, awful, fast. <laughs> Thank you,
0: Carol. I wasn't muted, so I had my hand over my mouth. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so would anybody else like to share? Yes, we have Marlene Massot.
1: This is from a mystery writer, so here we go. Bad hiding place by Marlene Lassot, I had gone again to collect the overdue rent. The kitchen door was ajar, so I stepped inside. After almost breaking my neck, tripping on the upturned corner of the floorboards, I reached down to investigate. Underneath, I found a hammer wedged under there. The claw showed rust spots on the underside. The news had reported a recent murder only this morning using a claw-like weapon. Where was my tenant now?
0: And thank you. It gave
1: me chills when I read that on, <laughs> when you posted that online. I read that. I think my hair stood up straight. <laughs> Man, we never know what they're going to come up with. Amazing. Amazing.
0: Okay, everybody, next week, our prompt is going to be, you just sat down next to someone and you realize that person is blind. How do you start a conversation? 50 words.
2: By the way, I should say that when I went under my floorboard, what I found was an elephant, of course.
0: Wow, that was, was a tiny elephant. Wonderful. Well, but I grew really, the, really
2: fast. That's how I learned uh, to control it.
0: Oh, okay. With the trunk up, right? That means yes. a happy elephant. That's oh, right. Okay. Yes, right. Yes, okay. yes, 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 yes. Okay. yes. Okay. And one more reminder October 29th, and we're going to have a Halloween theme. And Halloween means fun, fun, fun. And you're going to come in character, come in the character of your voice and attitude of your writing. Actual costumes are optional. Video is optional. If you want to show off your costume, Woohoo! going to have fun. You can listen to my little audio with Halloween music that I'm posting on social media, Kathy.
1: <laughs> All right. Thank you. Next week, we're having guest featured author Mer Lafferty, and she is an es- escape artist, writer and editor. And she's also a podcaster and she's also written several books. We're very excited to have her. Escape Artists is a place that we can submit short stories. And if they're accepted, we actually get paid for them. So don't miss next week's episode. We're excited about this. Thank you, everyone, for making this another amazing episode today. And a big thank you to our guest, Peter Altshul, for spending time with us. Be sure to visit writingworkswonders.com for these show notes, resources, and bonus content. You will also find many opportunities to write and participate in Writing Works Wonders events. All opportunities to participate in our Zoom calls, contests, writing prompts, and open mic events are available through our Contact Us page. Click Contact Us on the website. We also have a Donate button, which provides the opportunity for you to be able to support Writing Works Wonders. We're fortunate that all our staff volunteers their time and skills but we still have technical expenses to pay to be able to bring the show to you. We do not receive any compensation for this work. Thank you for all donations, large and small. You may contact Cheryl and Kathy through the Contact Us page or email us at writingworkspodcast at gmail.com or phone or text us at 347-467-0221. Above all else, We want you to be encouraged, inspired, and enjoy the wonder of writing. We look forward to being with you next
0: time. Thank you for joining us today. Writing Works Wonders, Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. Now tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. We also have a donate button and that's to help with the expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this show and podcast going. There's a link there that you can tap on that will take you directly to our website at www.writingworkswonders.com. There you will find all the information we talked about today along with show notes and so much more. We want you to feel encouraged and inspired to know the wonder of writing. And until next time our friends... Keep on writing.
2: Opinions expressed on ACB radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.